Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. Today, we've got a guest joining us called uh, Tessa Hosking, who um, Sally and I tracked down through the email and who we are delighted has agreed to talk to us um, because uh, Tessa has um, a perspective from further back than most of us can remember in teaching, which we really wanted to um, to bring out and, and bring to people. So thank you so much, um, Tessa, we are really grateful for you uh, being with us today. Um, and I wondered if you could start by telling us what your first post was in teaching, what, what the school was like and, and when that was. Just give us a bit of a context, that would be brilliant. OK, my first post started in um, 1974 in a school, a girls' comprehensive school in um, West London, actually very near the White City Estates. Um, the school, it was part of, um, the actual building was half boys school, the boys school was called Christopher Wren, and um, it, I think it's since actually been knocked down and it, it was reborn as a Phoenix school. Um, so it was, it was, I would say it was a pretty tough comprehensive school, even though it was all girls, you literally had to watch your back. Um, the girls were you know, a lot, well, obviously, speaking in general terms, there wasn't a lot of um, controlling the club. Discipline was difficult, should we put it that way? <laughs> Especially for a new teacher. Um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was my first, um, that, and only, as it turned out, full-time um, teaching job. Yeah, thank you. When we were talking about this earlier, you were, you were saying how that, though with the third years, you were able to pitch a curriculum. Um, can you tell us a little bit about? Yeah, right. Well, um, the school, I'd say, was half, as it would have been said then, West Indian girls, uh, a few of Asian heritage, and the rest were white um, British. Um, and I actually taught English, history, and social studies. So um, I um, and we 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 would have we I was a form teacher obviously. So I had um, I had one class. The, the 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 school was also what it was called broadbanded, so streamed by another name really. Uh, my form were in the lower stream. So they were quite a challenge, um, but I happened to teach them for their the first three years um, for history um, and English, I think. 
so I got I did get to know them quite well and um, yeah it was very different different then it was pre-national curriculum days um, the curriculum well it was guided as the years went on uh, I mean the, the school years went on by what was going to be in the CSE certificate it was then not GCSE CSE what what was going to be what was on the syllabus for the exam but before that it was basically decided upon by the head of department um so in the first year we I remember teaching prehistory second year I think we had the Tudors amongst other other topics so because I had um, a class that was at least half um, uh, African heritage, shall we say, I thought it would be good to teach um, a term for a term of um, African history. So um, I, uh, the head of the department said, yes, that was fine. <laughs> so um, I went back to um, medieval um, West Africa, shall we say, um, and talked about how people were paid in salt because they sweated a lot because it was a hot, hot country, you know, taught on that level. And um, about the um, the great king, um, Masamusa, I've probably got his name wrong now, um, who travelled to Europe um, in great pomp um, in the um, 16th century, I think, 1500s. I haven't reread this for a long time. <laughs> um, and it, this, this went down well, obviously. And it, it ended up with um, Caribbean history the, uh, at, the, at the time. I mean, that's because it's going back now, but up, brought it up to date with who was prime minister in Jamaica and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, um, that, that, was, that was perfectly okay to do. And, and that came out of, I, I was um, looking through the email that you sent us, which was about how you'd um, been previously working at the Institute of Race Relations as a library yeah. assistant. So it, that kind of given you a bit of background of that history, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess maybe, maybe unusually, but my parents, my mother in particular, was very sort of liberal minded. She was a member of the Peace Pledge Union. She was a pacifist. So we always had the peace news in the house. And I remember quite early on in my childhood, there was a, there was a sort of comic strip story about the, um, the bus strike in, in Alabama, wherever it was in the, in the 50s. So that was a kind of quite early introduction to sort of racial intolerance and fighting for justice, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, then I did have a job in the library of the Institute of Race Relations from 68 to 70. And it was while I was there that I decided I left school. I left school at 16 with just O levels. I wanted to work in a, I wanted to work in a museum. I love museums. I've always loved museums. I n never have got to work in a museum. <laughs> Though I ended up taking school parties on trips to museums, so. Um, but um, so I, on paper, you could, you could get a job in a museum with O levels. As it turned out in practice, you know, you needed ten years' experience in taxidermy or something like this, <laughs> or or volunteering or whatever. You know, it's similar to now, 
but now you actually would probably need to be an MA as well just to work in a museum, then at least you needed um, A-levels or possibly a degree. So um, I decided I needed to get further qualifications and I went from there to teach training college as it was. Um, yeah. So I can't remember if that answers the question. Yeah, no, 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 that's, it's, yeah. It, <laughs> I think it, because it shows that you, you kind of, you came to teaching through pro probably a slightly different route to the way other people had come to teaching yeah. at that time. And well, I think most of, most of my fellow students were about five years younger than me because they'd come straight from school. Yeah. yeah. And in, um, we, we know that in 1984, um, you went on to publish the textbook, um, Black People in Britain, 1650 to 1850. Yeah. Um, so when you wrote that in 1984, who, what did you select out as historically significant to put in the book? Um, what, what stories did you tell? Okay. Well, I should just say briefly that it grew out of um, the study I'd done for my certificate in education. Because um, there'd been, I think what sparked it was there was a observer, special issue of the observer and the history of black people um, in about 1970, which I'd read and I thought was interesting. So when I found I had to do a special study, I thought, well, I'll do this. When I worked, walked in the room for my viva and the two, two examiners said, well, you, you, you told us about something we didn't know about. I thought, yes, I've done it, got my distinction. <laughs> so but, so this, this is what I sort of researched it for. So then the book was based on the research I'd done then and obviously augmented. Um, so it was mainly categories of people. Um, um, in fact, I decided to have in, I started off with um, the subject of um, slavery in Britain, which is worth looking at the question, were there any slaves in Britain? Was it legal to have slaves in Britain? Um, culminating in the famous case that decided it wasn't legal to have slaves in Britain. So looking at all of that. Um, and then, the, and then the history of it going back to Britain's um, early um, slave trading across the Atlantic. And, um, and then I looked at various categories of how the, um, in those two early 200 years, what, pe what um, the pe black people were actually doing. So there were me men servants, women servants, boy servants and then there was I, I had tinker tailor soldier sailor so playing on the nursery rhyme but there were those types of people um, and soldier sailor beggarman dot 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 leaving out the thief so obviously there are thieves amongst all people <laughs> and then and oh then I came on to the case against slavery in Britain and, and then black people against slavery, which is where I mentioned more actual people's names. Um, people like Ed, uh, Equiano and um, otherwise known as Octavius Bassus, um, Sancho, and um, there was a late uh, poet, Phyllis, 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 Wheat, 
Phyllis Wheatley, that's right. She was an American who came over and became a little known uh, for writing poetry. This is in the 18th century. So yeah, it was mainly categories of people, and but obviously personalities came into that. And then finally, looking at our black ancestry in Britain and how the the, the population that had probably been at its biggest in the 18th century then really almost sort of disappeared into the into the white population and then until people more started coming maybe in the 20, early 20th century so that was how mm. I structured it yeah thank you and it it sort of struck Sally and I when we we heard about your book from a from a colleague and, and thought we're gonna track Tessa down that we we lost something. Um where did it where did it go wrong then? I mean you published that in 1984 and there is now renewed and wider interest once again. I know some people have never stopped um teaching um about a far wider group of people, but but somehow it does feel as though something got lost. Have you any sense of why that might have happened yeah well um right so i'll just say that when the book obviously i had written started writing it a couple of years before when it actually came out of course i sent my um my old school that I, where i taught a, co a copy of it complimentary copy and got the quite um um pleasing reply oh we've already ordered a set oh. so so that was good and, and a colleague who was still working at the school said uh, let me know that I, I saw the this particular class lining up outside the door of their classroom they were all clutching a copy of your book so obviously that was quite pleasing oh, on a personal level but um not long after that as you'll know the national curriculum came in um, which just at the start was very, very prescriptive indeed. And I think possibly ruled out almost completely um, any teaching of black history. Not, not there wasn't a rule that you mustn't do it, obviously, but it just didn't, it, it, wouldn't have, it, it didn't appear in any of the categories that were being, um, that, that were to be taught. So, and then gradually, I think, in, I did follow this for a while. And then after a while, there was, there was um, I can't even remember the name, but the module or whatever that it could have, it could have, um, it could have crept into. So um, there was a sort of optional category where, where this could have been taught. So, and, and obviously thing, things have changed um, somewhat over the years. But um, just, just really, just thinking, just very recently, what what did happen? I mean, I think the national curriculum, we could say, was mainly to blame, really. Otherwise, things would have gradually improved because, um, yeah, there was a lot of talk about, talk about teaching black black history, as um, would be called, and um, as, as similarly, like teaching about you know women in history as well. Um, but the, I think it was the prescription, really, of the national curriculum that cut out so much for a long while. Yeah, and, and, and not just on some specific subjects, but it also um, meant that teachers couldn't just teach to their own enthusiasms, if you like, which obviously 
they couldn't just do entirely. If somebody was terribly interested in British roads, they couldn't spend their whole time teaching about it. But, um, you know, it, it, if, if you're really interested and enthused and um, well-versed in something, you're obviously going to teach it better than if it's something you've just had to mug up on from the school textbook, as yeah. I had to do quite often. So true, so true. <laughs> Yeah, I'm struck by the sort of parallels now with the sort of greater professionalism and freedom of curriculum planning that, that that's allowed. Um, so I suppose trying to bridge that that gap where something was lost. Tessa, what would you want to pass on? What would you want to say to people who might be listening to, who are now starting to develop um, sequences on Mansa Musa and they're not the first mm -hmm. to do this. It was being done 40, 50 years ago, which is just brilliant. Mm -hmm. What 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 do you think? What uh, yeah what would you what would you want to say <laughs> in its way to say well i have to, well i have to say to start that i i'm not i'm not i don't know what the situation is as regards the extent to which the freedom that teachers have um but you, you've implied that there is much more freedom than there was in the in the 80s um so um well for one thing on the sort of non-specific basis is what I've just said, teach to your enthusiasms and interests. And if you know a lot about something, if, if you can um, use that, obviously, uh, it's probably good to have a particular, and um, I mean, history obviously is so wide, um, but within within the structure of the school, school syllabus, obviously, um, but but go for it if you like. Um, don't and if you have to do a bit of work on your own, um, there aren't the um, there aren't say the suitable textbooks. Well, ideally write your own. But um, if not, you know pr produce. Well, for the for the the thing that I did on the African history, it was mostly taught off banda co copied you know worksheets basically. Um, because the 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 work there was actually there was a series of books on West Indian history which I've got copies of um, still, but um, yeah, if the, if there are gaps in publications, then you know make up your own. So go for it, I'd say really. Yeah. Sally, you've been doing some of this recently in relation to sort of starting a textbook again, almost from a from a very different start I wonder whether it's useful to sort of finish by talking about a little bit of that as well whether what, what struck you in relation to listening to Tessa um and just, the experience you've just had yeah I know and I think that's a fantastic yeah fantastic call to arms really because I, I think you know when you look at the publishing landscape now is you know you mentioned in your email Tessa that it was it was helpful that you could just submit your ideas to publishers and they might take them up um but today you know they've got such an eye to their to their bottom line that it's it, it's quite difficult to convince publishers that, to, to try to publish for new things um so we've been working on a, a book in in bristol um amongst us in bristol history teachers on bristol and transatlantic slavery um which has been really interesting and what what we found is just first of all there are eight of us working on it so i think we've done two spreads each it hasn't been that taxing in terms of research and reading um because it's just not that much that you have to write and the other thing is that how generous people are with their time in reviewing and reading through it we've had 
kind of um, lots of it's gone out to lots of different groups of teachers and university academics have put their pennies in as well. So I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great, you know, to be able to go away and do that. You know, as his, history teachers, you know, we all love history. So to be able to go away and immerse yourself in that history for a little while um, and then have something to show for it at the end, I think is a really, yeah, a really positive um, outcome yeah. for everybody concerned. And it carries forward, doesn't it? I'm really struck by the thing that Will Bailey Watson and Hannah Cusworth are about to kick off as well in terms of encouraging people to take even a small amount of history scholarship and actually work with it in the in the classroom and in your own teacher knowledge as well. It's um, that's how we can keep moving forward, isn't it? Mm. That's a good idea. I've, ju I've just remembered this. Do you, do you, I'm sure you've come across this book. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's still relevant, isn't it? Yeah. They're all in there. There's some yeah. great, great bits in there, like really nice sources as well, which is which always. Yeah. I, that's what I think is the most difficult thing when you're trying to produce stuff for work in the classroom. Is like it's easy to put your voice in there, but it's bringing in those sources from from the time. Um, yeah. I think are good too. Well, that should be easier now because there has been more. Um, published and put out there um, even if not in schools it, it's at, it's more accessible than it was when I was when I was looking into it mm, and lots more stuff online I think yeah of course well but it's it's, it's great to, yeah it's great to mind those books as well because as, as Sally says for sources and also for, for stories for 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 nuggets for those stories of people and places and events which which um, do a lot of legwork for us with young children particularly yeah, you reveal an awful lot about a period or a place or a time or a way of being yeah they've got to be able to identify haven't they so it's got to be about people not just generalities yeah yeah huge thank you tessa it's been really um fascinating to 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 hear that to talk to you and to actually i think as, as sally said it's a call to arms really um and also uh, um as we have renewed and again wider interest in uh in this history um to not think that we're starting from scratch which yeah. is consoling and also a good lesson um but also to to um yeah just hear hear about that past that that past of the sort of 1970s and 80s and build on it and build forward from it which is which is really invigorating so thank you massively for your time today all right well i'm very pleased if, if i am of any help and um well you've reinvigorated me perhaps i'll do a paper